Welcome and good evening. Tonight we have a couple of scary true abduction and kidnapping stories. But before we begin, I would just like to ask that if everyone who's watching this could check to make sure that they are subscribed. Or if you aren't already, then please do. Almost 60% of you guys watching at home aren't already. Anyway, without further ado, let's begin. Number 1 when I was 12, I came to the conclusion that everyone in the world, including my own family, was against me. I was never a problem child, but my parents sure treated me like one. For example, I used to need to be home by 5pm every day. This clearly restricted my amount of playtime outdoors. I wasn't allowed to have friends over to play at the house, nor was I allowed to go over anyone else's. I had to finish homework directly after I came home from school, no matter how long it took. My parents refused to buy me video games, and forced me to read books and then write a book report on them to prove I actually read it. Now, even though those rules listed above are quite frustrating to me as a child, they aren't what upset me the most. What really hurt me was the lack of compassion on behalf of my parents. My mother was a bitter woman who always made me feel guilty about accidents or mistakes I've made. My father only knew one emotion, frustration. The only time he spoke to me was when he screamed at me for receiving poor test scores or beat me for misbehaving. But enough about them, let's talk about my school psychologist. For his own privacy, we will call him Dr. Tanner. Like most junior high schools, a psychologist is always available on campus during school hours to assist any students in need of counselling, whether it's emotional, academic, social or behavioural. To be honest, I've never seen any students talking with Dr. Tanner. Every day I would walk past his office on my way to the cafeteria and peek through his door's little window. He would always be in there, working on some paperwork. I guess that most kids were too afraid to speak about their problems to an adult who was practically a stranger. For this reason, it took me three weeks to muster enough courage to go into his office. March 2nd, 1993 was the day I decided to voice my troubles to Dr. Tanner. During lunch break, I stood in front of his office door and knocked. Through the window, I could see him raise his head, smile and motion for me to come in. I did. He greeted me by introducing himself and asking for my name. Dr. Tanner was a very soft-spoken man who seemed to radiate kindness. In less than 30 minutes, I rambled to Dr. Tanner about how mean my parents were to me and how they didn't care about me at all. After a while, my voice began to quiver and I stopped speaking. The psychologist listened patiently to my whole spiel, arms folded and head nodding. I half expected him to begin talking about everything I had just said was untrue, and that my parents loved me dearly and blah blah blah, but he didn't. Dr. Tanner leaned towards me with a grin on his face and said, You know, I'm the best school psychologist in the world. I promise we will fix this. I rolled my eyes. Okay, but how? I asked. I have my ways, he replied. I am a man of my word, and I promise that within just one month, the relationship between you and your parents will change for the better. Forever. After a brief pause, he continued. Although, I do need you to make me a promise. You have to promise me that you'll come back to my office after school tomorrow and you won't tell anyone that we had this conversation today. It'll be our little secret. I promised. 
The following day, I returned to Dr. Tanner after school. It was around 4pm when I entered his office. After a warm welcome, he asked me to have a seat in front of his desk once again. Upon sitting down, I watched Dr. Tanner close the blinds of the door's tiny window. There, he smiled. Now we have all the privacy that we need. We began to talk about my likes and interests, my favourite subjects in school, my least favourite teachers and things of the like. About an hour into the conversation, Dr. Tanner offered me a soft drink. I gladly took the offer, considering my parents never allowed me to drink soda. Dr. Tanner reached over to his mini fridge and fidgeted around before setting down two open cans of soda on the desk. Afterwards, we continued to talk about what was going on in my life, but it wasn't long before I passed out from whatever drugs Dr. Tanner placed in my drink. It took me a minute or so to adjust my blurred vision upon wakening, and when it did, I had no idea what to think. I was handcuffed to a bed and my mouth was sealed with duct tape. I immediately began to panic, squirming, tugging at the cuffs but gave up soon after. My eyes widened in disbelief after looking around the room. There were posters of superheroes pinned up along the walls and photographs of famous athletes on shelves. In the middle of the room was an old television and Super Nintendo, various game cartridges stacked alongside it. I didn't know what to think. Here I am, in a room filled with items most kids would die to play with. I would have probably cried from joy hadn't I been handcuffed to a bed frame. My stomach sank once again as the door opened and Dr. Tanner walked inside. He sat down on the edge of the bed. Now listen, he said. Remember, I am here to help you and I would never hurt you, okay? Dr. Tanner gently removed the tape from my mouth and then the cuffs from my hands. My first instinct was to begin crying but something about Dr. Tanner made me feel safe. He smiled at me. You're going to be staying here for a while, he continued, and during this time you're allowed to play with any toys in this room while I'm here at home. But when I leave the house, I'll need to cuff up one of your hands back to the bed. You can still watch a television, but I want you to only watch the news when I'm away. I sat in silence, still trying to process information yet given me. So, Dr. Tanner yipped slapping me on the knee. You go ahead and knock yourself out. I'll be back when it's time for dinner. He got up from the bed, walked across the room and clicked the TV's power button before locking the door behind him. Several more minutes passed before I realised that Dr. Tanner wasn't joking. All that was left for me to do was boot up the Nintendo and play Mario until nightfall. At about 7pm, Dr. Tanner returned to the room carrying two plates of mashed potatoes and chicken strips. I finally gathered up the courage to ask him how long I'd be staying in this room. Well, about a month, he replied. Give or take a few weeks. I just have some work I need to do. The following morning, I woke to Dr. Tanner, hand-patting my head. Hey bud, you don't have to wake up right now if you don't want to, but I'm going to need to put this back on, he whispered, clamping the cold steel handcuff onto my wrist. I gazed up at him. He was wearing a collared shirt and slacks a coat draped over his shoulder and a suitcase at his side. He looked just how he always did when I saw him around school. Before leaving, he placed the TV's remote next to me and told me to turn it on and watch the news. The first thing I saw upon turning it on was breaking news segment. An important looking police officer stood at a podium surrounded by people with microphones. I happened to begin viewing halfway through his speech. 
a statewide Amber Alert has been issued as of this morning. We have several investigators working towards identifying potential abductors, but as of right now, there is not much evidence. Faculty members state that the boy had last been seen around 4 or 5 in the evening on. I began to feel nauseous as a photograph of me appeared on the screen. It was my yearbook picture from last year. Captions for the photograph displayed my name and age, my school and my town. Above my picture were alternating titles. FBI began search for child and kidnapping suspect unknown and potential runaway. The live footage continued and two figures I soon recognised as my mum and dad stepped up to the podium. Both appeared to have reddened eyes. Tears streamed down my mother's face as she took hold of a microphone. I'd never seen so much emotion come from my mother before as she wept on live television, stuttering on sentences such as please return my baby back to me and I'm so sorry and please come home to us. When my father took the microphone, I nearly expected his attitude to be stone cold, but he had tears in his eyes too. He pleaded to the world to bring his son home safely and lastly begged for my forgiveness. I know I haven't been the best father, but god damn I do wish I had been now. Please bring my boy back. I turned the power off shortly after. My emotions were mixed, for I had never once seen my father cry. I felt miserable that my parents were being put through so much. By the same time, I felt relief. I know how much my mum and dad loved me. Nearly four weeks have passed and Dr Tanner has been treating me with the utmost respect. He leaves me in the morning cuffed to the bed frame, but returns in the afternoon to eat lunch and dinner with me, talk and play games. I never would have guessed how good Dr Tanner was at Monopoly and Scrabble. But one morning when Dr Tanner woke me before heading off to work, I noticed a stern look in his face. I also realised that it was three hours earlier than when he usually wakes me. You need to watch news today, no exceptions. I want you to keep the television on all day and pay close attention to it, he stated grimly. I of course complied and watched him exit the room. About two hours later, a breaking news segment interrupted the toothpaste commercial I was watching. The title, Human Remnants Found. Two staunch looking men in suits stood aside one another and began speaking. We are displeased to bring up such unfortunate news this morning regarding our missing child case from earlier this month. One of the men bowed his head while the one speaking shuffled through some papers. He continued. Remains of a body have been found in a garbage bag beneath a highway overpass. The body appears to be that of a child, although not much of it is left. The body has been decapitated and much has been burnt to ash and bone. The screen shifted over to a helicopter view of the freeway. Dozens of police cars gathered near the bottom of a tall overpass. The man's voice could still be heard. Within the bag, police found a junior high school identification card labelled as such. The screen showed the school ID card I always kept in my backpack. The plastic was sort of melted away, but my photograph and name were intact. After the two men dismissed themselves, the camera panned over to my parents. They were sitting among reporters. My mother's face held a painful grimace and my father sulked his head down at his knees. I shut the television off. Dr Tanner returned home very late. He hurried into the room, unlocked my cuffs and placed a bottle of fizzing water into my hand. He placed his hands onto my shoulders and smiled. I made you a promise, didn't I? I nodded, tears squeezing their way out of my eyes. 
You need to make me a promise again, he whispered. He told me that I needed to drink all the water in the bottle. It would help me sleep, and that from here on, I'm never to tell anyone that I ever met him. I promised. I told you, I'm the best school psychologist in the world, didn't I? And he was right. I awoke later that night to find myself lying in the middle of a park, stars shining brilliantly across the night sky. I recognised the park. It wasn't too far from my school. A mile or so down the road I saw my house. The lights were off inside, but I could make it my father sitting on the step leading to the front door. I hesitantly called out to him. He lifted his head slowly, but when he saw it was me, he sprang to his feet ran towards me arms open, yelling my name. My mother erupted from the house behind him. Dr. Tanner was right. Things have changed with my family and I. My parents smile more often and treat me lovingly. I could not ask for a more perfect ending. Every now and then I see Dr. Tanner on campus, walking to and from his office. Rarely do we ever make eye contact, let alone speak to one another. But sometimes he'll shoot me a wink and a smile. I'll always keep my promise to him and pretend I never met him. But there will always be one question forever floating in my mind. Who did Dr. Tanner decapitate and throw off the overpass? Number 2 When I became a father, my whole world started revolving around Mary. She was the most perfect, most treasured little thing in my world. We are kind of an unconventional family. My wife Taylor is a CEO, while I am an artist and stay-at-home dad. Taylor and my parents are people I cherish and grateful for, but I felt like I never knew what love was until I held my little Mary in my arms for the first time. I know everyone thinks her kids are amazing and special, but believe me, Mary is amazing and special. I had no problem living almost exclusively in order to take care of her, raise her, help her and please her. Mary is my whole universe. I was grateful for the precious being I was given. I woke up in the middle of every night to feed her when she was a baby, with a smile on my face. I taught her her first words. I put her to bed with a princess story every single night, as she grew up into a sweet kid. We became the best of friends, watching cartoons and chasing butterflies together. Taylor was so thankful to be able to be a mother and still focus 100% her career. She would come home every night to a hot meal, happy baby girl and overjoyed husband. I never knew a family as happy as ours, until the incident started. First it was Mary's cousin, Victoria. They pretty much were born together and spent early years of their childhood constantly playing together and being really close. When Victoria and Mary were five years old, Taylor's sister announced she would move away to another state. Being a single mother, she was too tight on money, even with Taylor helping, and was to move back to my in-law's house. Mary found out she wouldn't be able to see Victoria more than three times a year and cried her eyes out the whole night in my arms. We fell asleep in my rocking chair next to the break of morning. It was heartbreaking. I hated seeing my perfect little angel cry. She seemed to be in so much pain. I promised her that we would visit Victoria. Mary would soon start going to school and I assured her she would make lots of new friends. A few days after that, Victoria went missing. Everyone in the family was crazy after her, but nobody was able to find a clue. 
It was like the girl disappeared into thin air. Taylor's sister was devastated at first, but she followed up with the plan of moving away. She soon married a nice man and had another child. Taylor doesn't talk much with her now because she thinks her sister moved on too quick and completely forgot about her first child. Victoria was never seen again, even after all these years, nor her remains were ever found. As a family, we did our best to get over this tragedy together. Kids' brains are amazing to process everything. After a few months, it was like my daughter was past her loss. When Mary was in second grade, she was crazy about her teacher, Miss Martinez. She was a fairly old lady, chubby and gentle, and treated all the kids like their own granddaughters. The school was a girl's only. Her warm smell could make an adult feel as if they'd been chucked into a comfy bed with a teddy bear. She was the greatest, and despite her loving nature, the girls were perfectly disciplined and had amazing grades. It was like they would do anything to earn and keep Miss Martinez's affections. Mary was raised without a constant presence of a grandmotherly figure. I moved from Scotland to marry Taylor, while her parents live in another state and don't visit too frequently. So you might imagine how overjoyed Mary was to finally have an older lady showering her with constant attention and unlimited affection. But being an older lady, Miss Martinez was close to retirement. She clearly loved her job and was postponing this moment, but when she got sick, she had no option other than to take a leave. Mary freaked out, feeling abandoned and depressed. I assured her she would still see Miss Martinez, when she got better of course, but she didn't. The school were more incisive about making her retire, and she had no choice but to do so. Mary's new teacher was way younger, perfectly nice and adequate, but Mary hated her guts because in her eight-year-old little mind, she was just an intruder. Miss Martinez went missing from the hospital just a few days after deciding to retire. After that, little by little, we moved past against yet another traumatic experience. My heart was shattered to a million pieces when Mary asked why everyone she loved had suddenly disappeared. I could do nothing but promise her I wouldn't. I took Mary to a great therapist and we even went to Disneyland, just the two of us. Mary and Taylor loved each other, but they weren't super close. Since my wife couldn't take a break from her job often, most of her family fun times were just me and Mary, and they were perfect. Being showered with all my love, Mary started to improve again, but she only got better when she became friends with Bruna. They were both nine at the time. Bruna was a classmate and lived nearby. She was a polite and easygoing girl. I couldn't be happier than to see my daughter excited to go to school again and having such good company. This time I thought the peace would last. Our family had an amazing four years and ten months, until Bruna at age 14, and now she would go to an internship in France. It was her childhood dream and she finally got it. She would study abroad during the entire duration of high school. Bruna called me uncle and I grew to like her like she was my real niece, but I couldn't find it in me to be happy for her accomplishment. I knew what would happen, I just knew it. Mary of course was devastated, she felt abandoned or betrayed. I gently explained that she could still be friends with Bruna overseas, that they would have so much exciting things to share with each other, and that Bruna still loved her and cherished her as the most important friend. But it was once in a lifetime opportunity to fulfil her lifelong dream. I emphasised how we should be happy and proud for her, 
and that Mary could spend all her vacations in France if she wanted. After our constant talks about it, Mary seemed to deal better with this loss. I never felt more relief than when the day of Bruna's trip came and nothing happened to her. Some hours later, Bruna texted me. Uncle arrived at the airport, getting a cab now. But she never got in the cab. She simply vanished from the airport. Up to that moment, that was the loss that I grieved over the most. Poor little Bruna, just 14 and full of dreams. This hit Taylor and me really hard, but strangely, Mary seemed almost fine with the disappearance and possible death of her best friend. Bruna's tragic disappearance brought Mary and her longtime crush Ian together. Ian was a sweet boy, despite being a sports enthusiast. His heart and brains were in the right place, just like his muscles, so I didn't freak out when my then 15-year-old daughter started to date. I felt so happy for her. She confided in me regarding our passions a year ago, but never made a move. When he learned what happened to Bruna, Ian immediately took upon himself the task of cheering Mary up and distracting her from her pain. He was such a nice boy. They were a happy couple for precisely 19 months. Ian broke up with me, Mary said one day, as she entered the house screaming and crying. He said I'm too clingy. I raised my daughter to be affectionate, and I see no problem with that but maybe she crossed the line and became possessive. I suggested we see her therapist to help her deal with this kind of problem, so she can talk again to Ian and try fix the relationship. I pointed out that romance takes time and work, and that her mother and I have been happily married for almost 20 years because we were always doing our best to become better people for one another. I tried to calm her down, assuring her that anyone can see Ian as head over heels for her, and that they can improve their relationship. Mary hated the idea, she felt like the breakup was definite and wanted the problem solved right in that moment. She wanted to keep feeling loved by him the whole time, but I mean can you blame her? The first one is the worst one when it comes to a broken heart. The same night Ian went missing while out of town with a few friends like all the others. He was never found, dead nor alive. By this time my heart was unbearably aching, but my daughter's existence kept me going. My love for her wasn't wavered or faded since I first saw her, it had only grown. I was grateful and overjoyed to see my baby maturing into a sweet kid, and then into a beautiful and capable young lady. After Ian went missing, everything was a blur for a few weeks. I was depressed and heavily medicated, and my love for my daughter was everything I felt I had, but I didn't know if I could carry my heavy heart any longer. Eventually during dinner, Taylor suggested that Mary go to college in another state. She's smart, she reasons, and in our city we don't have such great options. Do you want me to leave? Mary asked, unspeakably hurt. Am I a bother to you, mother? Of course not, sweetheart. You you just deserve better, Taylor said, attempting to calm her down. Why don't you and dad move with me then? I don't want to be without him. Taylor explained she couldn't just transfer from her job. And Mary once again freaked out. They had never fought before. After that, I was afraid I knew what was going to happen, so I had to call Mary to my studio and talk to her. Baby, are you aware of your doings? I softly asked. My doings? What do you mean, Dad? I mean this. I opened a curtain and showed her a small body completely surrounded by shiny gold thorns. They were like a cage 
enveloping a fragile human being. The tiny body was neither alive nor dead. It was something else. It was cold like death, but showed no signs of decay. No blue dead lips, but no breathing. It was like they were asleep, otherworldly beings. Needless to say, the tiny body belonged to Victoria. It showed up in my studio just after her disappearance, and I swear to God it was floating. The golden thorns were sheer, but it was impossible to get through them and touch the person. I honestly spent weeks thinking it was hallucination, but when Mary started to move on, I finally understood. The missing person related to my daughter showed up in my studio, which Mary, Taylor and the cleaning lady never stepped foot in. Mary's feelings of loss and despair produce a prison of golden thorns around people she loves and believes to have lost, and they promptly vanish from whenever they are. They were never kidnapped by a person, they're just left unconscious and frozen for eternity, right here in our basement. Dad, I didn't, I swear. She didn't have to say it twice. First of all, she's my special little girl and I believe her. It's obvious that she didn't have the power to kidnap Victoria and Miss Martinez without a trace as a little child, and never left home with other two disappearances in another town, in another country even. Whenever someone disappeared, I felt better than when they said they would leave me dad, she simply stated. Knowing they are choosing to leave me makes me broken and empty, but when they are gone this way, I feel whole again. Mary has no queasiness about it. As long as the people she's losing are gone for good, she will feel better. She didn't take them, but she doesn't feel bad about what actually happened either. No matter how I assured her that Taylor loves her to bits and wants to be by her side, she felt rejected. So, you can imagine what happened to my wife a few days after the discussion. It all makes me sad, but Mary's my whole world, and I'm not only going to let her feel and do as she pleases, I'm turning the people she loves into art. I want her to keep them untouched and they were before they almost left her, so I'm creating a giant mural with their frozen bodies, peacefully and forever preserved into a cage of golden thorns. Thank you all for listening, remember if you enjoyed, subscribe and send me your stories if you have any. Needing a few more before I do our subscriber stories episode. Anyway, I'll catch you all in the next one, and thank you.